but I'll keep my, I assume just slightly off center like that is okay? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, let's, it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. Welcome to my summer lair. It's, I'm here hanging out with Scott McLeod, and I'm your host, Sammy Unin. How's it going, Scott? Pretty good, Sammy. Thanks for having me. Uh, we were just talking off air. You spent 100 days on the road. Yeah. Um, pushing and uh, plugging and uh, advertising <laughs> and making jokes for the sculptor. Yeah. That's a long road trip. Yeah, well, you know, when, when my last book, Making Comics, came out in 2006, my wife and my family and I, we went on the road for an entire year. And we went to all 50 states, four cities in Canada, England, and Spain, all in exactly one year. So in a way, 100 days is not that much. But this time, we have more countries because the book came out in so many languages all at once. Mm-hmm. That's one of your themes, I guess, from all your comic book writing in terms of like reinventing comics and whatever. Like it's more and more languages now. It's mo- it's the the genre itself is getting bigger. The medium's getting bigger. It's going all over the place. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many different comics cultures. You know, not even just in other languages, but even in North America, there are a lot of different locations. You know, we're we're seeing we're seeing a spread of comics culture that you'd think might make things more homogenized with the web and all, but there there are different scenes now. It's different in Austin than it is in in New York than it is in LA than it is in Toronto. It's it's like all these different places have their own character, their own local artists, their own local scene. I like that. It's it's kind of cool. It's like oysters now. They're <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the comics taste different depending on where you get them. That's a good way to put it. Is it the community, I guess, that's kind of making the difference or is it the they're influenced by the city or like what is it what makes each scene kind of different? I think cartoonists are influenced by each other, you know? Like they're they're they they have their friends, they have the the places that they like to draw. Maybe, you know, they they want to draw in a particular bar, maybe they draw in somebody's house. Mm-hmm. My old friend Matt Fazell, you know, like once a week, I, maybe he's even still doing it, would get together with all the local cartoonists in this little house in Hamtramck, Michigan, and you know, they just sit in the living room and just draw and have fun. Uh, it's it's great. Everybody's reinventing what it, ma- it means to make comics on mm. a local level. Yeah, and you're finding too that the readership is also growing, obviously, because the fact that your book, The Sculptor, which is like, it looks dense, but it's like it's panels and everything. it's actually a pretty quick read for five hundred yeah. pages. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> it's a bit of a lie, right? So, um, and you're finding that um, it's being well received too, like as it gets translated into the different languages and countries and things like that, right? Yeah, it's been pretty amazing. Yeah, uh, you know, we we finished up in Italy and it was just standing room only again and again, and uh, you know, it just went really well overseas and you know it's funny because we're kind of reinventing the wheel with each with each new launch it's like oh it's february again right mm-hmm. you know it's like the book came out yesterday i yeah. remember that yeah we get to do that again because each time i would arrive in the country just as the book arrived and are you surprised or are you at the reactions it's getting or is this what you kind of expected when you set out to write it and draw the whole thing I'm getting so far. It's been pretty good because I'm getting a lot of the same reactions I was hoping for. Like when I started the book, I you know I told my editor, I told my friends that yeah, I wanted, I just wanted it to just be readable. I wanted it to be a page turner. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't want people stopping and thinking, oh look at that clever way that he arranged the panels. It's like screw that. No, I wanted them to just start, you know, page one, page two, and by page three, I wanted them to just forget that they were even reading anything. I just wanted it to be a story. I want them to get lost all the way through. And it, it seems to be that. It seems to have that page-turning quality. Yeah, like, I found it very – like, I stayed up late at night. So Cool. Yeah, yeah, no, I like to, to hear fin- that. Yeah, so just yeah. to finish it because it's like as the as – because the, you know how it is, like, as the countdown of the day starts to go, <laughs> right? The pressure's on now. So I want to see how it kind of all wrapped up and – 
No, that's good news. Yeah, they, uh, like I measure books in like how much they inconvenience people. Like <laughs> I want to, I want to hear a good about metric. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I want to hear about people who like miss train stops or yeah. like you know like oh man, I was so tired, I failed that test. Yeah, because yeah. I was up till five in the morning or whatever. That's that's always good. So the book butterfly effect is what you're after. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah exactly. I wanted a widening radius of disaster. To okay. Follow my well, there books. you go. I was all cranky the next day at work. So <laughs> good, perfect. Yeah, I'll just throw you under the bus <laughs> next time. So. <laughs> I wish you had told me earlier. <laughs> I know what this is implying, but reading the book as well, this is not something that a young man could have written. Yeah. So this well, is... Well, it's a story that a young man came up with because I came up with a long time ago. But yeah, it's kind of the old man who who, who said, yeah, okay, move over, Junior. Let, mm-hmm. me, let me take this thing. You got this big operatic, you know, like big idea, art and life yeah, and yeah. death. That's what a 25-year-old comes up with, right? That yeah. kind of story. Um, but yeah, I wrote the thing when I was almost 50 years old. And and so what I tried to do is I tried to keep some of the vitality of the young man's story, and uh, but maybe write it with a little bit more perspective, perspective of somebody who'd been around long enough. You know, themes like acceptance and futility, that's not the kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. A 20-year-old's not really thinking yeah, about no. that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not on your radar, no. you know, when you're just out of college. But um but it's something that I was thinking more of, you know, as, as an older person. So I tried to get a balance in there. I didn't want to extinguish the flame, mm-hmm. you know. So the, st- th- the thing still feels a little like it's very operatic. It's very – maybe that's why I did good in Italy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, it has, you know, like the big gestures and the big ideas. But, um, but yeah, I think a lot of the soul of the book, I think, is, in, is more in the small moments, the, the little things. And does it take – generally when you have an idea like – any idea do you just need that time to kind of percolate you kind of put the tea bag in and just let it sit and well i did this time i mean sometimes i'll just go right to it you know um but yeah i think that the things that work best for me are things that have been sitting around for a long time like understanding comics i had a long time to think about that stuff uh and when i finally wrote the book it was just like yeah this is what i've been working on all along even mm-hmm. in college i was kind of working on that one idea but this is a really long time that it was just kind of sitting on the back burner and you know people say you know like why well why this story why now and i in some ways the big question is why why did i wait so long yeah you know and i and i think it was because part of me was reluctant to do yet another story that had like a superpower in it and it's like okay enough already it's like you know i i've been talking about how comics can be so much more than superheroes and i do believe that but here there was this little piece of it's kind of it's almost a superhero story this one and i think maybe part of this has been me accepting that okay this is like an accent that mm-hmm. i can't get rid of <laughs> this is like this language that yeah, i was speaking yeah. when i was a kid um and maybe it's okay maybe i have to let it go and say so, yeah i am an american comics artist and you know here in, in north america superheroes they were they were never too far behind there's going to be that little trace of it in my work Mm-hmm. In general, too, there is a connection between kind of artists and superheroes. In real life, artists really inspire people, and they kind of they they challenge them. They see make them see diff- things differently. And it's the same thing when you see Superman or somebody just kind of flying across the sky. That changes your whole like paradigm and shifts your perspective. Well, you know, now that you mention it, if you like name a superpower, and I can probably give you the the equivalent in in art, right? You know, to walk through walls, to you know, to breach barriers, to to fly, to to lift mountains. I mean, these are the things that artists do in a lot of ways. Um, you know, we're we're always breaking through walls. We're always, you know, helping people to breach barriers between 
each other, you know, to, to connect great distances, to imagine whole worlds, create worlds. We create worlds. Yeah. You know, like what what better superpowers than, than than that? So yeah, I mean, in a way, it's kind of a solid analogy. Yeah, and you don't have to wear spandex. You can just and you do know, it. right? You don't have to look <laughs> you too. You just stay home and not pan, no pants, <laughs> and then you can do all of that stuff. And is that part of what you also want to explore as well with the sculpture, like that whole artist journey? Because the artist journey is a little bit like what is it? The the five stages of like grief, where it's like acceptance and denial and frustrate anger. Yeah, yeah. You Somebody know I mean? said they like to write a novelist, like every novelist just a postponed suicide or something like that. <laughs> I don't a, know. Yeah. I don't know that that's how I look at art, but um, but I do think that yeah, a lot of this is about kind of the artistic process. Um, you know, Duchamp said as he got older that he was less interested in art, more interested in artists. Mm-hmm. And a lot of ways, this is a book just it's about an artist. It's it's um, in fact I, I'm saying very little about art itself, but I'm really interested in why people make stuff. Um, and, and yeah, we go through certain journeys where we're like, okay, yeah, we want to be remembered. We want to make something that lasts. But, you know, at the end of the day, I realized this was actually a story about somebody who was terrified of being forgotten, which is a little bit different. It's like, there you're railing against the human condition. Now you're going back to like Greek tragedies and like the idea of railing against your fate. Yeah. And, and, uh, the only way really for that to be an emotionally satisfying book is if in the end, it's also about accepting that condition so i have a character who kind of accepts it but he also he kind of is rebelling against it even as he accepts it. it's kind of hard to describe but the ending the ending uh twists in two ways at the yeah, end. yeah yeah i found i know it's hard to talk about it on the air but i found the last panel especially like it's almost like a full circle journey now where i found the last panel I was like oh because like i said i stayed up late at night so i was <laughs> like everybody was all asleep there's nobody to talk to i was like oh snap so it's yeah like, there's there's a bit of a circular yeah thing without you know without giving too, away too much yeah and then as you said though part of like you're interested in kind of like the dome not being forgotten and stuff like that in terms of the art and you as you just said you're like an american who like makes comic books and things like that so when you enter a medium like comic books, which has a dense history, like Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Kurt Swan, um, okay, that's a ra- random reference. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> good old Kurt Swan. Kurt, yeah, Kurt, okay. Kurt Swan, yeah. Now you see, now you're marked, right? Yeah. Anyone can pull out ja- Jack Kirby, Kirby and, and Stan, Stan Lee. Lee but yeah. Oh no, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. your comics. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, there's like a litmus test there. Yeah. So, <laughs> but when you enter a medium like that, which has a dense history and dense characters yeah. like that, like those gentlemen. Is there is there a pressure or are like are you aware of like the legacy or the contribution? Because you even talked just now about the butterfly effect that your book has, right? So, yeah. are you aware of the legacy or like I know it's hard to leave want to leave a legacy, but well, y- you know, I I kind of have a flat view of uh, comics history. I don't look at it as this hierarchy where like the further back you go, the more you it becomes like Mount Rushmore or something. Yeah, I think a lot of that came because I knew Will Eisner. And you know, a lot of cartoonists in my generation knew the guy because he was super accessible. And this is this guy. There was no bigger giant, you mm-hmm. know, of, of American comics than Will Eisner. You know, uh, Jack Kirby worked for him. You know, uh, he he was really the architect of the whole way that we told long form stories in American comics. But he was just a guy. I mean, it was just he was <laughs> he was super accessible. He would always talk to young cartoonists. And so I didn't have that sense of awe of you know of the successive generations it didn't feel to me like like you had to uh you know like pay tribute to the the comics gods or anything like that so for me it was just a big playground i would Mm -hmm. say okay i'm gonna take from this guy take from this guy this this uh you know here's a good idea from from this period of comics here's a good idea from this period 
uh, but it was just a big junk pile, you yeah. know? And I, I think that that's, it's kind of, it's healthy to think of yourself as a peer with the artists of the past and the artists of the future, too, and think of it like the one who's just starting out now but has has a vision for comics maybe that's still a little rough, but but they really, you can tell they have a piece of the secret, too. Mm-hmm. You just try to learn from everybody and then just sort it out on the back end, and that's what I tried to do. And is that how you're defining success as well, too? Because that's part of being an artist and being a comic book writer or artist, too, right? Is how you define success, what makes the sculptor successful. What's well, how I defer- define learning, you know, and that's the, for me, that's what learning is all about. Success is, I don't know, what is success, man? I, I, have no, I haven't figured I that have out. I have no idea. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know, know they tell us it's like the house and the car and like, the, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'm like, I'm not really sure I agree with that. I, I think it's healthy to define success book by book, you know, project by project, right? Because each project has its own like natural form. Mm-hmm. And for some things, maybe all you want to do is like prove a some crazy creative idea say like oh can i do this can i make this work can i demonstrate something okay that's one way to look at a project art spiegelman did that a lot when he was just starting out with his early comics that were collected in something called breakdowns each one of them was this old little crazy proof of concept thing but it's not at all what he tried to do when he did mouse there Mm -hmm. he was just trying to tell the story straight and document the experiences of his father in the uh, father in the uh, in the holocaust his relationship with his dad, at least in the first volume, and then it got all meta after that. Yeah, but, um, yeah. you know, so each, in other words, each project, it's like a kid. You have a kid, and you, you need to let that kid grow up and be themselves, and every kid wants to be a different human being. So that's, so, like I say, it's case by case. Every book has a different definition of success. And are you getting, I know you've been doing this for a while, but are you getting more comfortable, more deft with the, with the medium and, like, what it can do and... Well, you know, one thing is I'm getting more comfortable with my tools because um, I was never really great at pen and ink. My problem is that I don't get the drawing right the first time, and that, that kind of stinks if mm-hmm. you if <laughs> yeah. you work with traditional tools. Yeah. But I'm working digitally now, which even though it's still hand-drawn, it's hand-drawn on a thing called the Cintiq tablet where you, you draw directly on the screen. Um, uh, it's But it's digital so that I can go back. I can resize things. I can move stuff around. And for me, that's just perfect because I do a kind of crappy drawing, yeah. and then I, you know, I fix it, I fix it, I fix it, I fix it all day long until the thing looks okay. Um, and now I have all these tools to help me do it. So I'm more comfortable that way. And then I'm also like f- learning how to apply all of these crazy ideas that I had about making comics to actually making comics, right? <laughs> yeah. I just I just made a big fat comic that was yeah. 500 pages long, and I I knew I got better because by the time I got to the end, the first 50 pages looked like crap again to me, and I had to go back and redo those. So I assume I must have improved somewhere down the line. That's encouraging, though, to yeah. know that you're like getting better and that these ideas are working out. It was awesome. It was it was great. It felt really good that, that it's like, yeah, yeah, I, now I'm good enough to, to look at this stuff and see it looks like, yeah, it needs, to, <laughs> it needs fixing. <laughs> <laughs> and are you able to let it go, obviously, once it gets out into the public? Are yeah. You, are you able to, again, like you said, the children analogy, are you able to let that, like, drop them off at college or whatever, and then now that's it, you're on Yeah, well, exactly. It's like, a, you know, like, hey, honey, you can't drop him off at college. He's not perfect yet, right? No, no, <laughs> no way. I, yeah. You know, like, when you let the book go, you let the book go because it's just, it's time to let it go, not because it's perfect. I can op- open up any two pages of that book or anything else I've ever done, and I could point to a dozen things that are just like, well, that's kind of a, yeah, that's kind of a weak design there. That's yeah. not a very convincing face. This looks a little bit stiff. But it's like, yeah, but... 
it was the best I could make at the time. Yeah. And that's all you can ask of yourself. You know, at a certain point, you gotta you gotta let it go. Yeah, that's valid. Meg in the book, she was inspired uh, through the connection through your wife. Yeah. So I don't want to give away too much, obviously, but um, what was her reaction? I guess, uh, or she? I guess she was in the loop the whole time as you were record uh, writing the book and stuff. Oh yeah, well, I, Ivy knew about the story and the character decades before I got around to actually doing it. We've been married 27 years, and that Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Most people awesome. only last about 27 <laughs> minutes these days. So. Yeah, yeah. So. No, I think we're kind of lifers at this point. Yeah, yeah. But uh, she knew about the story from the very beginning because I was inspired to create this character in this story when I was secretly in love with her for like seven years. Nobody knew about it. Um, and and so uh, the story actually predates our marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been talking about the thing forever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she likes it. She likes being a muse. Um, <laughs> you know, it's and she's a capital M muse, right? Yeah, not, yeah. Not like not like a little muse. She's mm-hmm. like up there with Sarah Bernhardt now because yeah. because she inspired the creation of a character. Mm-hmm. She gave voice to the character in a lot of ways. Every time I sat down to write the dialogue with that character. You know, I've got Ivy in my head. You know, who do I talk to all day long? It was easy. It was just like turning on a faucet to to write that dialogue. Now she's not. She's different. This character of Meg is different in some ways than than my wife. But she's like seventy percent my wife. And yeah. there's maybe thirty percent of me in my in my protagonist, the artist. Yeah, that was my next question. So, <coughs> what was the uh, what was the roughly the thirty percent that you kind of drew upon to insert into David Smith? Well, I was kind of becoming David Smith. And we should say his name, David Smith, anyone who knows about sculpture in, a, in uh, North America knows that there was a very famous sculptor named David Smith. This mm-hmm. is his curse, yeah. is that he's forever <laughs> the other David Smith. It's like another comedian named Eddie Murphy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> who, wants, who wants that uh, burden? Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, this, guy, this guy is a little bit like I was, become, I was becoming that guy. When I was in my early 20s, I was becoming very isolated. I was becoming very, you know, like separated from people. I was working all the time, and I was only thinking about work. I was only thinking about, like, what I was going to do with my art and things mm-hmm. like that. And and uh, Ivy kind of, like, at the age of what, 26 or so, she pretty much swooped in and saved me. I mean, like, it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's not too different from what happens early in, in my book is that, you know, I have this character who pretty much rescues somebody from from himself so i was definitely drawing on that that version of me mm-hmm. that thank god i left behind because yeah, yeah. he's not uh, plenty of people have remarked that my my protagonist isn't always very likable he's he's very wrapped up in himself he is yeah but i mean that's part of the whole and that's why he's able to make that deal too though to extend his like his, the 200 uh, days and like you know what i mean yeah he somebody in his position like it's a natural to want to find like quote unquote a shortcut or a way out. Exactly, he wants to go straight to the bliss, right? Yeah. And yeah, we should explain. He makes a deal with death mm-hmm. uh, in the form of his deceased uh, great uncle Harry, um, that uh, he's he's going to have the power to mold anything he wants with his bare hands. Uh, he's a sculptor. Yeah. Um, and uh, but in exchange, he only has two hundred days to live. And yeah, he goes right f- right for it as soon as he understands what he's got in front of him. He yeah, takes yeah. that deal. I would not take that deal myself. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't take it either, actually, because yeah. yeah, I mean. The, the time alone, just like to have the 200 days, that's that hanging over you is just too much. It's yeah, like, yeah. Because that's, I think that's one of the beautiful things about being an artist is like you don't ever retire. Like accountants and lawyers retire. Artists just die. You can yeah. kind of keep working right up to the last day depending on how you go out. Oh, we were talking about that just today. You know, Miyazaki, the great Japanese animator, 
uh, I heard, I don't know if this is true for sure, but I heard that he retired, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And what that meant was he went to like five days a week. Yeah. But then like he couldn't stand it after a while and he had to go back to six days a week. That's <laughs> that's totally me when I'm 80. I'm going to be that guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's a great way to put it. And I mean, that's the privilege of this like lifestyle, right? Like you can kind of keep working and you don't always necessarily, and I mean, you're in a great position too where you don't always have to show everything to the public too. Yeah. You can kind of just doodle some stuff and then just kind of put it away. Exactly, and you can go right to it, right? Pick up a napkin, go. Mm -hmm. It's different than if you're like a movie director or, or a orchestra conductor. Yeah. You, you need a lot of collaboration. You need people there on the set helping you make that thing happen. But the cartoonist can just just go. Just make it happen any time they want. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And... Uh, yeah, I'm really blessed. And, you know, like, uh, I don't know. When people hear that you make comics for a living, they think, you know, oh, man, that must be an amazing job. And then the next thing they think to themselves, yeah, but it's probably a lot of work and yeah. it's probably not all it's cracked up to be. It's like, no, it is exactly <laughs> as great as it sounds. It is hard work. Yeah. You know, it's, it's tremendously hard work. And uh, it's the money's not always great. But, uh, but it's a great job. It's a wonderful job. I love making comics. How do you combat then the cynicism then? Because you're you're optimistic in almost two ways, right? Like you just said, comics is a great job. That's your own personal job. But you also are a big advocate of getting other people to read comics and yeah. make comics and like of the medium itself. How do you combat cynicism or like just like the frustration if it's like not going anywhere or people just going to the lowest common denominator? Well, you know, I dealing with people, you know, like having people in our family who've battled with depression, you know, sometimes sadness comes out of nowhere well sometimes optimism does too and i guess you know for whatever reason i just i seem to have an optimistic nature I, the world is an interesting place and you know, like when i look at you know the possibilities of art you know i'm just always seeing possibilities everywhere i'm seeing potential everywhere mm -hmm. in, in a way it's almost kind of cruel that like every like when i teach sometimes i teach comics i'll get 24 kids in front of me and i'm looking at 24 potential great comics artists yeah that isn't really the reality. No, <laughs> right? no. You know, like <laughs> the chance, are, chances are of those twenty-four kids that, like, you know, twenty-three of them will never, ever, ever, you know, make great comics. But, right. but I just feel like no, but it's possible. Yeah. I can't help but see in them that possibility. Um, and so I guess it's just my natural disposition, like, to go in that direction. My dad was the same way. Mm -hmm. He was an engineer, as an inventor, but you know, like. You can't predict, I mean, like, okay, you can be optimistic in a foolish way, which is to predict that everything's going to turn out great, right? Yeah. So you have to be on guard against that. On the other hand, there's a different kind of optimism, which is you look at the world, you look at the, the landscape, you look at the human landscape, and you see potential everywhere. You see that everybody has, has this path that they could take to make amazing things. Well, that's actually true. It's like atom smashing. You mm -hmm. know, like how each atom contains in it this tremendous power if you can break apart the yeah, yeah. nucleus or whatever it is that they do. I don't know anything about it. I don't about, know. I got an English degree, physics. so I'm going to nod <laughs> right, right you know? now. Yeah, I'm following. I'm following. But the potential's <laughs> yeah. there. There's yeah, yeah, enormous yeah. power. That is true. That is true in each and every person. It doesn't mean they're going to find it. But to know that power is there, that's a fact. And, and I can't help but see that power in everyone and everything. It's there. It's out there. And that keeps me hopeful. In a way, you're what you're talking about is you. Uh, this sounds condescending, but it's not how I mean it. But you're talking about like the way that we treat 
kindergarten children. They come home with this like weird scribble or whatever, and it's like, look, it's a turtle. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't look like a turtle at all, but you're like, this is amazing. And then you yeah. put it up on the wall, and it's like it goes on the fridge or on the wall. That's right, yeah. I mean, but that's exactly it. Right, you know, what do you see in kids? You see potential. Mm-hmm. You see promise. Now, okay, so here I have an, I'm an optimistic artist. We're talking about like the way I'm always seeing that potential. I'm always seeing the best. I'm always seeing like what people can do. But there's a dark side to that, and I guess in a lot of ways that's what, as an old man, the old man who came in and took the young man's idea for this new book, that's mm-hmm. what I saw. I began to see the dark side of that. And now I'm, I'm beginning to understand that there's kind of a morbid quality to promise, a morbid quality to, to you know, the young hopeful. Like, you know, every, every failed career was once like this promising kid that, you know, could do no wrong in the eyes of their parents or something like that. Yeah. And there is there is something a little dark about that is that that you know like for every Beethoven or Picasso or Michelangelo there are like 999,000 also rands. Yeah. You know, and and a lot of ways this sto- the new graphic novel is is in many ways about those guys. Um because I think their story is interesting too, but it's it's not always as as well, it can be inspiring, but it's not always as happy a story. Potential is a horrible, uh, not maybe horrible is a strong word, but potential is a horrible burden to live with. Because once, again, it's the kindergarten analogy, right? Once they see you're an artist, whatever, then you want to keep drawing these little scribbles and you want to keep doing them. And then that's where the rub is, because after grade one, grade two, grade three, you can't do the scribble anymore. It has to start looking like a turtle. It has to start looking like yeah. a house. It's a long, long path to true success, the kind of things that, you know, like we're all, like, you know, that we dream of. Everybody yeah. dreams about it. Everybody dreams of being behind the podium at the Academy Awards mm-hmm. or, like, at the museum show or whatever. And how many people actually get to do that, you know? Yeah. And how many people are forgotten, and you know, uh, shortly after they die, sometimes forgotten even before they die, you know? But but I guess, I guess what I wanted to do was, like, you know, tell their story, too, and, uh, like, say, no, but it's still, there's still something noble about this, still something worth telling about that kind of artist too, you know. It's just it's not enough to just tell the story about the great artists. I'm seeing other like it's interesting. It's happening in an interesting time. Other people in motion pictures, I think, are starting to grapple with that same basic idea that you know you might say the Birdman in a way is yeah. like, kind of like looking at that. Uh, there have been a couple of things lately that that's it seems to be in the air that suddenly people are realizing no no no, no. we gotta let's look at the nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine that don't make it their their stories interesting too yeah and i think what's i think part of the reason that's kind of that's being triggered is because the internet now allows you to at least stick around a little bit longer and to kind of build a niche yeah you know what i mean it might be a very small niche and only by me your mom and dad but there's a it goes back to what we we're talking about legacy and like because you can put something up on the internet and it's there potentially forever yeah well actually this is interesting because in some ways my story this story about being forgotten being you know like the 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 futility of being remembered in a lot of ways is actually kind of a 20th century capstone it's not necessarily a 21st century story it's maybe like finishing up the last century because we may be entering an era with where nobody gets forgotten you know we may be entering an era where we're like we're at the beginning of true history Mm -hmm. where everything is recorded everybody's work is accessible forever uh, and so it's it like it's got this kind of strange, eerie quality. We might even be near, you know, entering a century now. You know, in the twenty first century, we may be in a century where death itself uh, is, in some ways, reverse. You know, uh, reverse. Death is obsolete. Yeah, death is obsolete. <laughs> so, it, like, yeah, it's it's like 
is am I telling a story about the world I grew up in mm-hmm. uh, more than the story th- more than a story about the world that we're going into? And I don't know yet, but I'd be okay with that. You know, I'd, it'd be okay if that's sort of pointing backwards to where I began. And the I find the other thing too what's unique about what you're talking about uh, the old school uh, pre-internet days is there was a level of an- anonymity. So like Bruce Springsteen, for example. He before he was Bruce Springsteen, he was just a dude with a guitar and he had his dream yeah. and you know what I mean. Then he achieved a certain level of fame. And you've uh, you've done the same thing too with all your books and your comic book writing. You achieved a certain level of fame and notoriety. And Some I've clawed my way to the middle. You clawed your way to say. the middle, yeah. <laughs> I guess do you ever want to kind of go back, or does that affect how the ideas that you create or whatever? Or is that what's well, the nice thing about being a cartoonist is you always go back, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you can always just like makes you know put something in a sketchbook or you know like put up a little web comic that you know hardly anyone sees just screw around you can s- always screw around you can just get together with some friends and draw on cocktail napkins you don't have to make it this big showcasey thing you don't yeah. have to make it some magnum opus you can just have fun and and that's really nice because you know even the really successful cartoonists we're not rock stars, you yeah. know, like the whole world is not watching. <laughs> yeah, nobody yeah. lines up around the block for you people. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. unless you're Neil Gaiman, you're probably just, you know, you know, it's, yeah, you, yeah. you get a little notoriety, but yeah, you can yeah. still walk from one end of the Mall of America to the other and not be stopped, you yeah, know. It's, yeah. And that's actually kind of nice, because mm-hmm. who wants, you know, real celebrities, like, screw that. That's, yeah, yeah. that's no way to live. Yeah, because they rip your shirt and stuff yeah. like that. So. <laughs> Did you hear Kevin Bacon was talking about, like, I guess he, he got, like, a makeup guy, to like make up his face uh so he didn't look anything like himself and he went for a walk in the mall mm-hmm. and and they the interviewer was like well how did you like it was it funny he said no i didn't like it at all yeah. <laughs> people aren't nice to you <laughs> yeah, see i know it's, it's weird it's uh it's weird to kind of go back it's that whole clark kent superman thing right so yeah they'll treat superman one way and clark another way <laughs> and, and nobody likes the way they treat clark well, all cartoonists are basically Clark Kent. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we get to – but that's – it's nice. I think most of us understand it. No, we get the better end of the deal, mm-hmm. right? Because we get to communicate with the big audience, but we're behind the drawing board. We're still just the schmo who's, you know, in the check shirt or whatever who's, who's just going to the supermarket every day. And Chris Rock talks about that in terms of comedy because – he likes to travel on his own without an entourage or whatever so that he can kind of yeah. mingle with people and kind of hear stories and language and things like that. And does that kind of translate for how you work as well, the fact that you can kind of blend in as Clark Kent? Yeah, uh, well, I, like to li- I like to listen to conversations. Oh, like, um, like I had some lines that I got from just uh, like, like riding the bus and things like that when I was first writing comics. Yeah, I remember I was sitting in front of the, there was this old guy was hitting on this like young girl. I did, I never even saw their faces, mm-hmm. but I could tell the situation. Yeah. Right? And at one point she said something that I just loved. She said, um, I think I'll always look young. I know I always have. And I thought there was just there's something so poignant and beautiful That's about that. That's really nice. I totally stole it and put yeah, it in yeah. a story. <laughs> <laughs> that should be like a Hallmark moment or yeah. something like, yeah, I don't know, that's fantastic. <laughs> And I guess that's what you're talking about. You see inspiration and ideas everywhere. So you're just like constantly inspired then. Yeah, well, I, I compare myself to like that that little blender size thing in Back to the Future. At the, be- at the end of Back to the Future, Christopher Lloyd comes flying back in this flying DeLorean, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, Marty, you got to come with me. And, you know, we got to go to the future. And he's out of fuel. So he, he goes to this thing called Mr. Fusion, this little thing the size of a coffee maker, and he unscrews it and puts some garbage in it. And now, yeah, yeah. and it and and it runs on garbage. I run on garbage. <laughs> I basically my brain is Mr. Fusion. I'll let yeah, anything yeah. in. 
all my filters are on the back end. Not everybody does that. You know, a lot of for some people it's like all about making sure you only have the best diet, you only read the best books, you only only watch certain you know vetted movies mm-hmm. that you know made it through the festivals or whatever like yeah, that. Yeah. You make sure you don't you don't consume any junk. But I believe in back end filters I, because I think everybody has a piece of the puzzle. So I'll learn from everything, anyone, anything at all, any kind of life experience, any kind of media. You never know uh, who's going to have a piece of the puzzle. So yeah, it's all it's all back end for me. How do you maintain that uh, curiosity? Because that's part of, I guess, what your that's your secret formula, if anything, right? Is you're kind of always curious. You're always kind of checking things out. You're always experimenting. Yeah. How yeah, do well, you maintain that? I don't know. You know, at some point, it might just die. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. You I run out know. of it, eh? Yeah. And no, I I don't know what the fuel is. You yeah. know, I guess um, just it's like having fun, watching stuff. Um, you know, I'm pretty voracious media consumer. Ivy and I met in the movies back in college, and we go to movies all the time. Mm-hmm. Sit right in the front row or the second row and just let it just completely yeah. swallow us whole. You know, none of this sitting in the back like it's TV in your living room. Come <laughs> <Yeah>. on. <laughs> you want to keep it real. Yeah, we want it, yeah, we want it to swallow yeah. us. Yeah, we yeah. want to be we want to be consumed. Y'all you know, binge watch TV, mm-hmm. uh you know, uh, go for long walks, read audiobooks, stuff like that. Yeah. Um uh so I guess that's probably the secret right now is just like make sure that I'm I'm swallowed up by experiences. And one of the things that Ivy does is she pulls me out of the studio. Right, because I'd just be staying in and drawing all the time, except she's like, hell no, we're going to take this invitation to Spain or whatever, and we're mm-hmm. going to go somewhere. We're going to see some stuff. We're going to meet some people. She pulls me out into the world, and that keeps me curious, too, because I'm constantly stimulated with stuff. Do you th- – we've had the big – you talked about the movies. We've had that big explosion, obviously, with the Marvel movies. and Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, DC's got a whole slate of them. Like the, But the – the graphic novels, that medium's kind of like, it's been a little slow coming in terms of being translated from book to movie. Have you sold a sculptor to movie rights? or There is a there is a definitely a deal underway uh, uh, with Sony and Scott Rudin. Um, but uh, the, the news of it leaked very early. Mm-hmm. That is, basically, we, we had a handshake, and the next thing we knew, it was in the Hollywood Reporter. So I don't know if it's a, you know we pissed off somebody in North Korea, or <laughs> I don't know how yeah, it happened, yeah, yeah. you know? But uh, but the news got out there super early, so it's still in the early stages that mm-hmm. thing. But it is going to happen, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, or at least it's it's very likely it's going to happen. You That's know? cool. Um, and and uh, yeah, I mean, we like I said, we love the movies. I think you know, in many ways, this particular story for me, it felt natural. Even as I was working on it, I was thinking, yeah, this will probably be a movie. I just I kind of never had any doubt that eventually this would be a movie, just because of the nature of the story, the way I was telling the story. And because also I was putting on that hat where it was all about the story, mm-hmm. which is different than other things I've done, where it was more about the form, more about experimentation. Mm-hmm. This thing was just about pure storytelling. And a pure storyteller is like, yeah, I'd like it to be a comic, like it to be a movie, like it to be a book. You want to see the story travel. So for me, that that was just, it was a natural, it was a no-brainer. Um, you know, the thing about adaptation, though, is, you know, sometimes the source material... It's never sacred, right? But sometimes the source material is really good, and you hope that the movie is going to be loyal to the source material. Sometimes the source material is it's uneven, and you kind of hope that that the filmmaker will make up a lot of a lot of new stuff and like you know really just come up with something out of their own heads. Both can work, you know. It depends. You just hope that the filmmaker is going to have as much loyalty to their chosen art 
as the cartoonist hopefully did to theirs. And and I think the track record's actually been pretty good. Those superhero movies, I don't I don't read a lot of superhero comics, although there there are a couple of good ones. Um but I got to admit I kind of like the superhero movies. They've been they've been a lot of fun. They are. It just they're your garden variety summer blockbuster, you know what I mean? Yeah, they're doing blockbusters right. They're yeah. actually like it. They're entertaining. They're funny. They're exciting. They're they're spectacular to look at. Some are a little overloaded. <laughs> yeah. Most are a little overloaded. <laughs> but that's what you pay for. That's what the whole point of a blockbuster is, though. A right? lot of like, them, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So, but there have been some great movies. I, I thought uh, Nolan's Dark Knight was a great movie. Uh, Love the 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 original Avengers movie was fantastic. Love that Marvel franchise. You should always give a little money to some Kirby related charity when you do it, just because. Yeah, I feel bad know. for the dude. Yeah. yeah, that was not that was not cool. That 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 his estate is not. Mm-hmm. gotten uh what they should have but but um but you know just as movies just on their own merits they're they're fun you know what else can you want but for them yeah. to be funny and exciting and and cool to look at it's funny because you we t- we've talked a couple of times about like that whole d- idea of legacy and everything and you just mentioned kirby do you think as more as you talk to more and more and as, and as you teach um and more people are writing comics and drawing comics are they more aware of like the potential for making something great or the money that's on the table even do they get distracted by those things because obviously when like kirby was doing stuff uh the dude that sold superman they had no idea yeah this is not going to go anywhere <laughs> yeah <laughs> right? right well the su- the guys who sold superman so jerry siegel and joe schuster uh, famously got ripped off you know they sold away all their rights to yeah, superman 130 on the, bucks or something yeah like? on the back of their first uh, check it was yeah. awful but you know it was the depression and they had it was 1939 i think it was yeah. or 38 and they had been shopping that thing around for ages. They were they were very grateful to get anything at all, but of course they got screwed in the long run. Um, despite the efforts of some people, we should say some people at DC were were agitating to to get them at least something. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, wait, what was the question? <laughs> I forget the question. <laughs> no, it's good though. We should uh, stick up for the little guy. No, it's just that like as like I was saying, like because you were saying you're teaching and you're kind of encouraging people to do more, create more. Oh comics. yeah, yeah. Dude. Are they aware of like the fact that they that they could create something great now, which is kind of like a mind shift that they didn't have like back in the day. Well, one of the nice things now is that you know, like when when kids are starting to make comics now, they look around and they say, "Oh crap!" You know, like there are successful people, but each one of them like reinvented the whole definition of success just for them mm-hmm. right so you have all these one-offs you have all these people who made their own careers that are like not like anybody else's careers and they just had to like figure it out on their own that's kind of healthy back in the old days when i started out there was like one track to success it's like yeah you get a major publisher to swallow your thing and then like you know pump it out there and then everybody wants to read it it's not like that at all now you have web entrepreneurs you have like kickstarter success stories you have like weird crazy niche comics you know like hyperbole and a half Mm -hmm. or xkcd it's like these things are nothing like each other they're nothing like anyone else but that's good because because the message that the cartoonists get is i gotta make something that cannot be ignored something really great and then i'm just gonna figure out on the back end how to how to make some money from it you know right it's just like there's gonna be some way Mm -hmm. first i get a million people reading me yeah. Then I'll, I'll figure out the rest later, which means that the art comes first. You got to make something great first, and yeah, that maybe that's going to make ten or th- going to take ten or twenty years to make that thing that has that demand, that has that pull, and then yeah, you figure it out 
then you know after the fact you figure out how is that going to make money and the fact is if you got a million eyeballs on you there's probably going to be some way but the way you do it now in 2015 is going to be different than 2017 and 19 and yeah it might take you 10 years to to get that good so don't worry about it just make great comics and the rest the rest can follow is it but that's part of the impatience i guess and that's why like uh, david smith was able to cut the deal because when the deal came like yeah, my protagonist definitely yeah. has the impatience. Yeah, you can't have and the impatience. And to tell somebody, like, you'll be good in 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> it's very frustrating because it's like they want to get to the level like you are at or Neil Gaiman or anybody else, you know what I mean, where they're like got the million eyeballs. I actually, I vividly remember being told by some people, yeah, another couple of years, maybe your figure drawing will be good enough. You know, I remember and that pissed me off. I didn't want to wait two years. Yeah. I want it now, 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 now. But, yeah, you got to you got to keep working at it. Are you getting more patient as you go all further along in your career or are you getting more yeah. impatient? No, I'm getting I'm getting more patient. It's good. I you know like I knowing Will Eisner helped and and again a lot of us knew Will personally. Uh a lot of people in my generation. And um he was on a slow clock. That guy retired at 59 and like retired from the army, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, so yeah. he's <laughs> retired. Yeah. He's like he's ready to go son on the porch. Guy goes out does like what 20 graphic novels or something yeah for the next 27 years uh so that's a model that's a slow clock that he was on and i like to think of myself as on a on a slow clock that's the other kind of quote-unquote lie too that we get where like it's like everything is kind of pushed to us as like the young superstar the 20 year old the 25 year old yeah, right yeah you know what i mean and well they're out there i mean there are people who for like sure burn like comics yeah early on but at the same time, like, I, I started off this interview, and I just said, like, this is obviously a book that a young person couldn't have written, right? Yeah. So, Although uh, we should say a young person could, could read it. And, you know, yeah. in some ways it's, I think, I wouldn't necessarily call it young adult fiction, but it, it, it has some of the flavor of that. And I, I wouldn't mind at all the idea of, like, some kid in high school reading it. I think would it would be kind of cool to read it when you're young. Mm-hmm. That would help a lot more than a guidance counselor as well, too, because <laughs> <laughs> when you're trying to decide between that, like, art career or, like, the sensible accounting or something, this might be, like, a little nice little Yeah, if you're, like, if you're, like, 17 years old, you're going to have to go for a long walk after reading this Yeah, thing, you're going to yeah. have to sort it all out and, like, oh, damn, what did I sign up for? <laughs> so you are um, you're at a panel on TCAF um, this weekend. You came at a really yeah. good weekend. It's nice and sunny today. Oh, it's gorgeous out. Um, so, and it's, the panel's called How, Where, and Why I Should Start Reading Comics. Yeah, and that's, that's, uh, I think tomorrow, Saturday? Yeah, 10 a.m. And then Sunday is the, uh, the panel, uh, about the sculptor specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, but I cannot remember when that is. Well, it's all, it's all on the TCAF website. Yeah, it's we'll all, it's all up there. Yeah, I'm on a few things. There's also a screening of the documentary Stripped, which is a really cool film about, um, uh, you know, about the changing face of comics and the online scene, and a bunch of us will be talking about that. And in terms of like TCA events like t uh, festivals and like TCAF versus like um, the kind of the standard Comic Con cosplay, those type of, do, do you yeah. have a difference or preference between those two, or do you see anything? Well, you know, it's all part of the ecology of, you know, like the ecosystem of, of comics events. Uh, we like that, you know, the Comic-Con is something that's kind of like Thanksgiving for my family. So we go every <laughs> year to San Diego, yeah. the real the real Comic-Con. Yeah, People yeah. get confused about where Comic-Con is. It's yeah, yeah. San Diego institution. Um, uh, but the festivals, of course, those are those are special. And like TCAF and MOCA, um, SPX, these 
you know, they're very art centered. They're very comic centered. Yeah. And so uh, that, that that sort of thing has a special place in my heart. Um, in fact, it's been way too long since I've been to SBX. I should make it down that way. There you go. TCAP. This will be my third TCAP. Yeah. Um, I've been going to TCAP since it started, and it's been phenomenal just watching the growth and the number of creators and the books you can pick up and the conversations, the panels. It is a real quality show, and it's uh, you know it's certainly one of the best anywhere and um and one of the reasons is because it's all about the comics it's all about the guy sitting behind the table selling you the, the thing they made with their bare hands there's no replacement for that and uh you know as somebody who loves comics it's great to see a show that loves comics and that that shows it with each and every person you meet so following uh tcaf and all the comic-con obviously the uh what's next after this for you uh what are you going to follow up the sculpture with well, the next book is actually nonfiction again, uh, like like understanding comics, but it's not going to be about comics specifically. I want to write a book about the the fundamentals of visual communication and education. I think that everything from data visualization to information graphics to presentation software to nonfiction comics, I think all of these things have certain common principles. The way we learn through pictures, I would like to see if I can figure out what those common principles are and, and write a book about that in comics form, of course. Is it the medium that you believe in so much or is it stories that you believe in? Well, you know, I guess in, at the end of the day, I'm still a comics loyalist. It's about comics for me. It's about what comics can do. And my whole career, I hope when people look back, they'll see that what I was trying to do was to kind of draw a big fat map showing all these different crazy things that comics could do. The only problem is I'm really, really slow. <laughs> so like as I'm, yeah. I'm trying to like draw all these points, you know, yeah, like yeah. these 20 different points, and each one takes me seven years to do. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the clock's running out. I got to I gotta get around to some of these things. Yeah, you're like the old school where you preheat the oven, you got to put it in yeah. there. You're not a microwave, right? No, like, I'm not a microwave <laughs> guy. And, you know, so. like, seven, you know, five years on this last book, it's I got to speed up. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have to bring you back when the next one comes. And, Sounds uh, good. Hopefully come back for another TCAP as well. That would be awesome. I hope so. It's a great so, show. And thank you so much for the sculpture. I just really do want to thank you for that. It was a fantastic read, especially because I, I do a lot of writing and I work with a number of filmmakers and writers and artists and stuff. And so at, coming from an artist's perspective, it's re it really encapsulates that struggle, the, the heartache, the, the joy all of it. And I wouldn't That's make the awesome. deal either, too, though. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would not make that <laughs> so deal. So I'm willing to just do the <laughs> long road and then see where I end up. So. Well, here's to the long road. The long road. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, Sammy.